Steve and Kevin preview Eternal Weekend 2016 on episode 58 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 58 of So Many Insane Plays, our 2016 Eternal Weekend preview. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hi, everyone. If you have any comments or questions, you can tweet us at Many Insane Plays, email us at So Many Insane Plays Podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTGCast, or TheManadrain.com. We don't have too many announcements this episode because the show is sort of a giant announcement of sorts, right? So just for anyone who's not following along, Eternal Weekend is coming up October 27 through 30. We are talking entirely about that weekend on this show. We did get a little bit more information just in the past few days from Card Titan. Uh, one key piece that I want to point out is all the swag from the VIP uh, featuring the playmat with Library of Alexandria on it, which looks really cool. So now all the three playmats now are for Vintage is Jace, for Legacy is Rashad and Port, for VIP is Library, and you can you can get any or all of those by still pre-registering. But this episode is all about Eternal Weekend. Playmats have gotten better and better. <laughs> they really have. Uh, I, I, re- I sold that Tarmogoyf playmat for at least $100. I turned that <laughs> around. And I, not that I, I don't want a Tarmogoyf playmat, but that Telerian Academy playmat yeah. that they gave away last year. Yeah. I think it was the was it the VIP or regular playmat? I thought that was the VIP one. That that is my favorite playmat that I have. It's it, just so beautiful. Yeah, it's and, so beautiful. And the, you're right that they keep getting better too. I mean, the Crucible one that was awesome, but this year Jace, Port, and Library that's a that's a sweet trifecta. People sometimes people just enroll in these events just to get the playmat, and it's totally worth it. I mean, last mm-hmm. year they said 20 of the 483 people signed up just to pick up the, the vintage playmat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's it's sweet. I think the much bigger and more important point, Kevin, is that we finally found out what the prize for this tournament is. Well, well we, we, in, we in subject, yes, but not entirely. But, well, we, we knew it would be a painting, but we didn't know which painting it would be. That's right. Right? That's right. I mean, the, the trend had been giving away Pieces of Power 9, mm-hmm. reimagined Pieces of Power 9. They, they went through from 2003 to 2011, all the Power 9. Mm-hmm. And then they restarted it up with, I believe the first one in the new cycle was Mock Pearl? No, that can't be right. Uh, it was Time is... Twister. Time Twister with Mark Lanigra. Because Time Twister was in 2004, and they did Time Twister again in 2012. 12, yeah. And then Mark Taco won the Pearl. I remember that. Mark Taco won the Pearl. Last year was Emerald? Yeah, yeah, because Brian Kelly won the Emerald. And what did what did Mark Hornung wing win? I'm sorry, Is I don't a... remember what Mark Hornung won. That might have been Black Lotus. I think they might have started over with Black Lotus. No, it was Time Walk. It was that beautiful Time Walk. Oh, the one that's since been used on online, right? Yeah. 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 Okay, there you go. Well, to your so, point, we finally do know that this year's prize is Mock Sapphire, but what I was hedging about earlier is that we still don't actually know what it looks like. <laughs> we still don't have the image. <laughs> because unlike prior years, they're not planning to unveil the artwork until Eternal Weekend. And We should we should be clear that we're talking about Eternal Weekend United States. Yes, that's our, true. <laughs> our show is not is not covering the PN will actually be this weekend. We would love to cover it, but there's not enough time between it and Eternal Weekend for us to really get an adequate show out and in, in people's hands but for the sake of thoroughness the legacy prize this year is badlands alternate art 
custom art for Badlands, which also won't be unveiled until Eternal Weekend. They they did they do a dual land in the past or just the first dual land? I have a kind of a memory that they maybe did Tundra, but I'm probably wrong. I really don't remember they... what the legacy prize was last year. Honestly. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, <laughs> they did Gaia's Cradle. Yeah. But I don't remember if that was last year or the year before. They've done uh, Brainstorm. Mm-hmm. Well, and they did Wasteland. But um, yes. Yeah, so this year, so the, this, the, the... Vin- this year the vintage player is getting Mock Sapphire though. That much is, uh, is I'm certain. Look- I'm looking at the thing. It was Tundra last year. Okay. So my memory, I didn't have a false memory there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, Mock Sapphire is definitely more attractive piece. You know, Moxen they could, mm-hmm. they could make. And I think the last the last time they had Mock Sapphire was the okay. championship. So that's been some time now. In fact, that was 2011. No, it was 2000. That was 2010. 10, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So it's been six years. And, you know, it's also interesting that this timing at the end of October for this event is actually perfect. If we had been in the more traditional route, this would be late summer, you know, mid, late August. Timing it here allows us just enough space from Kaladesh, and we have Conspiracy too, that the format has not clearly not been solved. Um, <laughs> True. I think it's perfect timing. It's really perfect timing. It makes the format so much more exciting than it would have been in August. In my opinion. Well, different people, in my opinion, different people like different things about Magic tournaments, right? Some people yeah. thoroughly enjoy a solved metagame, right? But yeah. I'm in agreement with you that this is pretty exciting territory, especially given the intersection of Conspiracy and Kaladesh and the, uh, the somewhat unprecedented interaction between online and paper that's going on. Yeah. And Just so, so, so people, be explicit. What do you mean by that? Well, yeah, <laughs> so I'm referring specifically to the notion that, that conspiracy cards are not yet available on Magic Online. <laughs> and won't be. <laughs> and won't be for a while. And Kaladesh cards only just became available in the middle of, you know, the early middle of this month. <clears throat> so we're running on very low information in terms yes. of the the literal environment that we're going into because no one on Magic Online can test for this environment. All we yes. have is paper events. We've got one big one we're going to talk a lot about, but and then a couple of small ones, but the, the simple truth is that this Kaladesh conspiracy vintage format is going to be on display <laughs> in the two eternal weekends that are going on consecutive weekends. I mean, in my view, that makes this the most exciting, really the most exciting vintage championship I can remember in years because the... Like a, the, it's a little bit like the new Pro Tours, right? Where the format is oh, still yeah. fresh and people are solving it. And so, you know, in the past, I think there have been some interesting timing to some of the events. I think one of the more interesting ones, I think, was 2008, which is right. It was like this window of time right before uh, there was. It, it was it was a tournament that an environment in vintage that only existed for like a month, if I recall correct, because it was a period after a series of restrictions before the printing of Tesseret and the Errata on Time Vault, mm-hmm. which only happened for like two months. So that that tournament never existed again. You know that environment never really existed over time. It was totally thrown out. That's kind of what this feels like. It's like a completely like we got a shot in the arm with Kaladesh, a shot in the arm with Conspiracy. Things are in flux, and I'm just can't wait to see how it shakes out. And it'll be a, a it'll be foundational for the rest of the format for the foreseeable future. For some time, mm-hmm. for some time. And let, until crazy new cards come out in the next set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. This has been quite a year, and we're gonna do a lot. So let's just before we get to our next announcement, let's just talk a little bit about what this show is about, actually. So this show is our annual Eternal Weekend Vintage Championship Preview Show. But the purpose of the show is to do your homework for you. <laughs> that is, we're going to bring all the data that you need to prepare, so you don't have to dig it up. And there's two questions that we want to help you answer. The first question is, what should you play? Which we can't answer for you, but we can help you think through. <laughs> the second question is, what is the metagame 
going to be? And that's really the more important question to help you figure out what play. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to predict the metagame. That's what we're going to try. And, um, and just so folks know, we'll actually hold ourselves accountable. I think we've basically done this every year for the last five years, Kevin, mm-hmm. is we've kind of predicted to kind of the percentage or given a, a range as to what we expect. And I guess you and I will actually come up with different predictions today and then we'll see who was right, kind of like we do with our report cards. Yep. Um, I've done this in writing. In, in my experience, I tend to never be more than this might sound a lot or a little, but 20% off. <laughs> so that is, you know, I'll come up with a, a, a prediction, what I think is it's going to be. And I think the worst I've ever been in, um, in the total metagame. So it's not really that hard once you put all the data together to kind of figure out what's our um, So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try and predict the metagame. We're going to look at paper, look at Magic Online. We're going to look at the big Eternal Extravaganza tournament this past weekend. And we're going to try and see where things are line up and where things are headed. Precisely. Before we move on, though, you have some gush books going to print, do you not? Sp- speaking of foundation and direction of the metagame, uh-huh. uh, I- I'm just happy to announce that uh, the gush book that I released a couple months ago is a is a electronic book. An ebook is now in both paperback and hard copy, and we'll post the links so folks can order them. They're print to order, and it's it really has turned out so much better than I even anticipated or could have expected. The, I think every I'll bring some copies to Eternal Weekend so people peruse it. But just when you look in the book, it just makes you. I personally am an ebook reader, hmm. and I just have too many books, so I've gone all electronic. But when you when you look at the book, it's so attractive that you really do want a hard copy, and it's a little bit frustrating to me because creates some you know some angst internal angst for me because i love i love i love books but i you know just have gone all in on ebooks but the paperback and the hardcover amazing so if folks are interested in that they get a hard copy and it's it's full color it's beautiful the layout is unbelievable people are going to really love it really be impressed i can attest i've seen it it looks pretty sweet it's a quality hardcover book Oh, and Steve, we ought to talk about the old school tournament, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, this is going to be... <laughs> old, old school on Thursday by Eternal Central. Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be up against the vintage prelim event, but I'm all in on the tournament. Uh, it'll be hmm. Thursday, and there are, I think, over 100 people signed up, so it should be the largest old school event possibly ever. <laughs> so, you know, since actually the old school, right? Since the 90s. Uh, but, and even then, larger than most. Yeah. It's it's going to be, Eternal Central has announced, it'll be, it announced it will be at Gordon Biersch, which is a brewery in the Arena District. So that's so cool for so many reasons. They have an amazing <laughs> selection of craft, uh, craft beers for those. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. It's just amazing. So for folks who don't know, <laughs> we, you, Kevin, you and I have both spent long stretches of time in Columbus. We've lived there. So mm-hmm. I think it's worth, you know, describing to our audience who may be unfamiliar or less familiar with Columbus, like what the kind of geography is, if you will. So, sure, so sure. the Eternal Weekend is going to be at the Columbus Convention Center, which is on North High Street, which is on High Street. And there's two neighborhoods that people need to kind of familiarize yourself. The first is the Arena District, which is just kind of west and south of the Convention Center. And the Arena District is known for the arena as the Arena District because it has Nationwide Arena, which is where the uh, always fearsome Columbus Blue Jackets NHL team plays. <laughs> <laughs> the perennially winning uh, franchise, uh, expansion franchise. But, but really, the Arena District has has a, a lot of food places. So number quality restaurant. Number yeah. one food place you're going to want to know if you are in the convention center is going to be North Market. So when you cross the street from the convention center, there's kind of some hotels and bars and, and restaurants. But right behind that, the parking lot, and then there's North Market, which is 
I guess, kind of smaller, but still very, very good. It's the parallel to what people experienced in Philadelphia, right? When there was that... Phil- the Philadelphia market? Yeah, yep. it's yep. kind of analogous to that. And then there's some high-end... There's a, actually a really good Japanese steakhouse there, actually called the Japanese Steakhouse, right right next to the uh, convention center. There's a high-end uh, Italian restaurant called Martini's. There's a bunch of high-end places and nice bars. Golden Beersh is actually right next to Nationwide Arena. It's a big space, so that'll be. And this, and, and we should be clear that we're talking about just a couple of blocks. We're talking oh, about yeah. one to three blocks away. All, all of this is. You, you can probably from, from certain exits from the convention center or the convention center hotel, you can see the arena. Just walk out it's and you can walkable. see the arena. So it's all walkable. Yeah. And I think right across from Golden Beersh is a Buca de Beppo. So for the Magic players with large appetites, you can go right there and do some family. <laughs> Family style. We've had plenty of magic tournament event, mm-hmm. post post event dinner in that in that area. Um, the other neighborhood you need to know, not just the arena district, but the short. So if you're going to be there right. for the whole weekend, you need to get familiar with the short. The short north has probably if you want to get something that's not high end but really good. The short north is known for its art scene. So I think once a month it's got a, a kind of a it's called the gallery hop where people go in the galleries. There are a ton of really good small restaurants there. Some you know you can get some bur- everything from burger to fries to steak sushi. Uh, there's actually a place. Um, there's a couple places I'll recommend. So first of all, there's a good Jenny's ice cream place, which is about two or three blocks from the convention center north. Um, Love Jenny's ice cream. Yeah, it's great. One of the places I really really like is called Haiku, which is kind of like a Asian fusion restaurant has really good really good not not too expensive. But there are a lot of places you can pop in and out get wings burger whatever um there's also an amazing place that's only in columbus called north star cafe it's like a perfect lunch place if you want to get just a couple more blocks highly recommend that it's across from donato's um but there's you know really countless places to go to there it's worth spending some time walking around and then there's a big park behind all that goodale park there's tons and tons of summer festivals and things like that in terms of nightlife the the place that i remember seeing the most magic players kevin is uh, you probably remember this is brothers bar and grill which is in the arena, mm-hmm. arena district. I remember seeing like Raphael Levy and a bunch of other guys. I think it was Raphael, a bunch of guys there when the protest. Um, and there's a bunch of bars near there. It, those are all behind North Market. So I'm jumping back Park Street arena area. Um, but there's a ton of places to go. I'm sure we'll have some some great times. Um, Kevin, do you have any other recommendations? I think you covered the recommendations pretty well. I just want to emphasize that you're on North High Street is it's a North South Street that runs right through the center of town. The convention center in Columbus is effectively right downtown, yeah. just slightly to the north of all the major government buildings and, right. and nationwide and all these other things. But you're downtown basically. So you're also a, a couple of miles south of the primary Ohio State University right. campus. Right. Good point. <laughs> so you're, you, there's a lot of campus kind of life. You're going to have a lot of college kids around. Now, they won't be in the short north as much because the short north is a little bit higher end and there's plenty to do on campus if you go a couple miles further up High Street. But it's all on this one street, basically. Right. And it's worth noting, and it's probably been said by a number of other people, that on Saturday, during Legacy Champ, at 3.30, Ohio State is playing a home game within a few miles of the tournament location. Yes. <laughs> so yes. things are going to be a little I... crazy that afternoon and evening. And now, granted, this is not happening at the convention center, no, but it's just but it... within a couple of miles, which always brings in a, an influx of activity and Pe- people in traffic in town. I'm so glad you mentioned that. People need to understand. I there's probably I live in a, in a in a city right now that has all four major sports leagues. I mean, we have the Golden State Warriors, the NFL, the 
we might not have actually we might not have them for long, but we have them right now. <laughs> but I, but there is <laughs> nothing comparable to an Ohio State what I've seen. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, the Raiders games don't get half the traffic as in Ohio State. The Warriors don't get half the traffic. You will be stuck on highway traffic for hours if you are trying to get to the football uh, to the convention center and you're on the freeway. Don't make sure you're in walking distance of the convention center and and avoid anything north of the convention center or you won't make it. North yeah. North High North High Street and all High Street is going to be jammed with cars that morning. People are going to be tailgating. I mean, there are a hundred and they're probably a first of all the stadium fits a hundred and twelve thousand people and mm. there are more than that who go there to tailgate not just get in so right you you don't want to be anywhere near that <laughs> <laughs> if you're planning to drive in on the morning of saturday especially from the north from the south it'll be slightly less bad but as steve said from the north plan way ahead and if you can find an alternate route to go around town yes. and like come in from the east or yes. west into the convention center which is totally reasonable because you yeah. can yeah, or the south. Going around town is is totally reasonable. It would only add, you know, a little bit to your trip comparatively. I'm telling you, but don't, tr- yeah, yeah, don't try to come in on the in the major north south thoroughfare seventy one <laughs> uh, into town because you'll regret it that morning. It will be like sitting in L A. traffic. That's the uh, probably yeah. the only analogous, you know, analogy I could probably come up with. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing like it. It'll be the worst traffic you've ever experienced. <laughs> um, so do do warning. Yeah, do warning. And, and also Ubering around town, if you're trying to do anything more than a couple of blocks from the convention center, Ubering around town might be difficult too. There are plenty, plenty, especially Friday and Saturday night, plenty of late night places to get. I'll mention a couple. If you're looking for a local fare, you you might consider a White Castle. There's a White Castle on North High Street, which is <laughs> just a Midwest. It's actually based in Columbus. If you haven't had a White Castle and you've seen, you know, they're, they're known for sliders for a reason, known as sliders for a reason, but they are delicious. There's also a couple of good takeout places. I'll give you a name of one. It's called VP Doe. It's on North High Street. And they have unbelievable calzones to like 4 a.m. So if you're hungry and you're testing late, that's a place you might you might think about. And if you really are compelled to look into the Big Ten student lifestyle late at night, yeah. check out the, the the Blue Danube. Great, great. There's lots of places north of campus, too, to check out. Great suggestion. Mm. But White Castles is also open 24-7. I think they only close for Christmas, and I think that might be it. <laughs> there are white castles <laughs> generally open so you could go there at five six in the morning get as many slides so many insane plays is not responsible for the conduct <laughs> or quality of your digestive tract <laughs> after visiting white castle <laughs> but you will enjoy it before before that <laughs> okay well oh, we give pl- people plenty of tips it's, it's a good place to, to visit So without much further ado, let's move on and talk about how the Q3 metagame has shaped up going into October and this whole conspiracy Kaladesh situation. So by Q, July, August, so Matthew Murray and Ryan Eberhardt did a metagame report Manadrain. They didn't do a Q3, so we've gone through the data and basically we've looked at just trying to see how things shake out. Right, Kevin? Exactly. So what is the, what are the results? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe we should maybe we should actually do the recap of the Q2 first, so people can get a sense of the direction. Let's okay, fair enough. A second. So going very quickly through this, so folks can remember the Q2, which is April through June metagame, looked like this. Uh, there were 35% of the metagame was gush, 13% was shops, 6.3% was dredge, 
12% was combo, 7.2% was blue control, 7.2% was big blue, 8.2% was oath, 5.3% was null rod decks, 5% Eldrazi, and 1% other. And that was out of 208 top X as top fours or top eights. I don't know if he means deck lists or actually top eights. I suspect he means deck lists, mm-hmm. not actually. Um, and, and that's all and, That's all paper results, right? Um, I think they may have... It's largely paper. I think they might have included... Yeah, they did include the MTGO Power Nines. That's oh, it. okay. So they were looking for large events, basically. Mostly paper, but yes. also the Power Nine. Yes. Got it. And the cutoff for this was 17 players okay. for their, their data set. So the big takeaway so there uh, from those data sources is the top two, right? Gush. It, well, what's interesting is Gush was 35% of the metagame. Shops was 13%, and then Eldrazi was 5%. Mm-hmm. So, But the, the next best com- performance was Combo. Combo had a very good second quarter this past year. And it, 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 it of course, depends on how you kind of slice it, right? <laughs> you, granted, you know, combine, granted. Combine the blue decks in different kinds of ways. If you combine blue control and oath, you get to 15%, right? Mm-hmm. But but the big story is that the Gush was by far and away the most popular kind of engine, if you will, in Q2. So contrast that, the paper result in terms of Q3, July through August, showed in July the most popular decks were Mentor and Eldrazi with 13% individually, with Pyromancer coming in third just behind at 11%. What does that mean then is that if you combine the Mentor and Pyromancer decks into the Gush family, you end up with 24% just from those two archetypes, and then there are just a, a smattering of a few other Gush decks that aren't in those two families, Mentor or Pyromancer, but you look at about 25% Gush in July. But the really interesting that... story is is that, in paper at least, Eldrazi topped Shops by a lot. Eldrazi at 13% tied with Mentor. Shops was down in fifth place at only 7%. In July. Wow, seven mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, agreed. Really, it really lost. I don't know how or why exactly, but it lost some serious steam in July. Shops did. Let's talk then about August, right? In August, <laughs> again, this is in paper. We have things turning on their head because Oath is in first place at seventeen percent. Second place still Eldrazi at still at thirteen percent. Mentor basically fell off the map in paper in August for some reason. But similarly, workshops put up very few appearances in August. So the whole environment kind of I think we're suffering from a little bit of a lack of data, but there are twenty three results in this data set. Going into September then, what comes back out on top? Workshops. And not just back out <laughs> on top, twenty nine percent in September. Wow. Second place, a little, little bit of a return to norm is Mentor, 18%. Oath still strong at 11 And then it's a smattering of things, you know, three or, or fewer appearances below that. <clears throat> but what this tells us is you're observing a, a format in flux, right? You're observing a format where people are trying different things. People are trying to understand what's going to be strong going forward. That's all the paper results, right? Going into October. So now, what, Steve, do, you, the, do you want to talk yeah, about well, October ag- yet, or do you want to talk well, about... No, let's let's keep, keep it on Q3. Aggregate yeah. it for us. And overall, Q3, what was the percentage of the metagame that was, say, Gush and Shops and Mentor and all that? Grand total, top finisher for all of Q3 combined. It was very close, though. The top finisher was Mentor, 12% overall. Second place is Shop. Twelve percent of the metagame. That's it. Because I think in Q, I think in Q2, Mentor was like thirty percent of the metagame. Yeah, that's true. Wow. But but let me okay. let me finish here. The top the top five at least. Mentor, first place, twelve percent. 
right on its heels. The next three decks all had just one fewer appearance, so 11% each for Shops, Oath, and Eldrazi. Interesting. And then in fifth place, Pyromancer. So if you combine the, the, the big two Gush decks, you get 20% in total for Gush, basically. With, again, a couple of percent here or there for other rogue archetypes. But So you're just over 20% for Gush in total. Shops 11, Oath 11, Eldrazi 11%. Nothing else, in the, nothing else in the double digits beyond that. Oath, Oath continues to perform so much better on, on in paper. paper. Yeah. Yeah. But the variance, you know, you ask for an aggregate number and it's valuable, but the variance month over month and the paper results is just striking. People are really just trying to find their way in this format. <laughs> and there were a lot of big events. I mean, the NYSE may have been in June, but I think there was another another fairly large event in this data set, right? So the largest events in Q3, let's see. In Europe, we had some high 20s events, MKM series, one in Barcelona with 21. But the biggest one was the Ovino at 32 players. The largest, the largest event that you have to go back and look at was right before well, July with the Eternal Extravaganza in late June. Don't the LCVs have well over 30 players every time? No, not anymore. You're looking at 27 mm. players, 31. Yeah, mm. they're not drawing as large of crowds anymore, sadly. At least not consistently. Well, I think that I think that those top four decks are probably probably define the metagame going into Eternal Weekend, in my opinion. That's right. I mean, Shops, Mentor, Oath, Eldrazi, and then Grixis, Pyromancer. That sounds to me like the top five decks. Yep. So let's just hold that on the table and let's let's move forward and let's look at October and then we'll look at we'll look at online. All right. Is so that the next is that the next step? I don't want to jump ahead where you're going. No, I think that's fine. So after that after that shakeup, we only have let's see in the month of October we only have 16 decks to point to, which is the result two of events. two tournaments, two events. But fortunately for us, one of those events is quite large. Eternal Extravaganza Five just completed last weekend, 114 players, which makes it one of the larger vintage events of the year. So while we do have a low number of results to point to, we believe those results are significant and directional. So of those two events, what do we find? We find that the most popular deck is Mentor. Three appearances in the top eight of the Eternal Extravaganza 5, including including two Jeskai lists and then one four-color list, which is increasingly unusual in recent results. You know, they've normally been Jeskai and Esper. Four-color lists were, yes. uh, were a thing of a couple of months ago, but still. Like the, the Sylvan Mentor from some time back, yeah. <clears throat> But in second place, though, now these results need to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt, though, is Eldrazi. Because the other event <laughs> that we have in our records that isn't Eternal Extravaganza was an 18-player event in Alcobendas <laughs> in Europe. And that event had was one by Eldrazi and had two more white Eldrazi in the top eight. This European event and this American event are quite different in their construction. Three Mentor decks in the U.S., three Eldrazi decks in Europe, one Workshop deck in both, which puts the Workshops basically in third place. Over in Europe, though, their top eight included two four-color Leovold decks. And are what those, those decks? Mentor or Pyromancer decks, or, or both? No, decks? neither. Those are anti-Mentor Pyromancer decks. You're talking Deathrite Shaman. Leovold splashing red for sulfur elemental. Interesting. Which is the way the Europeans have apparently been inspired to build Leovold in this early stage. And then singleton results for Rug, Pyromancer, Oath, Landstill, Jeskai Control, Blue Moon. But the big winner coming away from early October is clearly Mentor, with three appearances in the top eight of Eternal Extravaganza 5. And Shops made one appearance in both of these events. Interestingly enough, the one in the top eight of Eternal Extravaganza, piloted by Nick Dijon, he referred to it as car shops. And <laughs> for those of you who have been paying attention to Kaladesh, you can probably guess why. 
A card that we didn't even preview is included in Nick's deck, Fleet Wheel Cruiser. This is for those who aren't prepared. A four mana artifact vehicle. Trample haste when Fleet Wheel Cruiser enters the battlefield it becomes an artifact until end of... I'm oh, sorry, artifact creature. Until end of turn, crew two and it's 5-3. So it's a 5-3 haster. Very reminiscent of Slash Panther. Definitely. Definitely. I wish we had had. Um... Well, and I'd like to throw in then also that Nick did have one copy of Sky Sovereign console flagship four total vehicles in that deck three cruisers one flagship which we did yeah. cover and we knew the flagship couldn't be a four of so i'm not very surprised to see him with a, a a higher number of some cheaper vehicles steve this i don't even know where to begin this top eight for well, well we're gonna co- <laughs> we're gonna cover we're gonna cover eternal extravaganza in more detail but we're just trying to get a picture of where the paper is well right? okay well, then we'll save a little bit more detail for later in the show but the takeaways are Mentor per, uh, performing very well in the top eight at Eternal Extravaganza, Eldrazi performing very well in Europe in their top eight, and a little bit of Shops and a little bit of Leovold, depending on which side of the pond you're on. I think that sets up, I think that, that's a microcosm that sets up an interesting dynamic going into champs. <laughs> I mean, if I had, if, if you had asked me to, to predict one of the tensions would be going into champs, I think I would have outlined a, a similar kind of scenario is Mentor and Eldrazi and Shops competing with some new technology, both in Shops and in Leovold decks. That's going to be one of the critical questions. Let's, should we, should we take a look at Magic Online and then come back to this after five breakdown? Yeah, let's do So switching gears to Magic Online daily results then. Now, the the top four or five decks on Magic Online reflect consistently a little differently than paper. We've said this many times before, but it bears repeating. Workshops, Mentor, Grixis Pyromancer. But instead of Oath online, you get much more Dredge. Oath is a lot less popular online. Still puts up some results, but... So really, those... And then Eldrazi, excuse me. Then So the, the, the Dredge replaces Oath basically in the top five online. But going into October, there's been something of a weird result in October because, again, online you only have Kaladesh in terms of the new cards. There's no conspiracy. So there's been a a great deal more focus on workshops in October. There have only been... Now, there's the, the daily events are hit or miss in terms of when they fire, and Kaladesh only became legal on Magic Online, you know, the early mid part of this month. Yeah. So unfortunately, there have only been three daily events since Kaladesh was legal. And given that the typical size of... (laughs) Well, that's unfortunately for us in predicting, but fortunate for the experienced players. These three events have been typical size with a a, a single 4-0 player and a couple of uh, three 3-1 players. So we've got 12 deck lists to talk about, and the results are striking. So out of 12 deck lists, seven of them, or 58%, have been workshops. Let that sink in for a second. Across three wow. tournaments, wow. 58% of the 3-1 or better deck lists have been workshops. That doesn't leave much room for anything else. And ironically, the next two decks are Painter and Dredge with two appearances each. That leaves only one deck out of 12. That leaves one copy of Jeskai Delver. Seven shops, two Painter, two Dredge, and a Delver. 
That has been October post Kaladesh online so far, which tells a strikingly different story from the paper results, if you'll recall, which powerfully featured Mentor and Eldrazi with comparatively little shops. Now, a lot of this result has to do with the fact that specifically Rich Shea has been piloting his his new uh, smokestack <laughs> variant decks in these dailies. So he represents three of those results. But still, there's no denying that Kaladesh brings more energy to the workshop archetype for the online community at this time. Now, granted, that's not very many results, but you can see how people's uh, what, what people are focusing on testing, at least. Let's let's talk about the deck list, right? I mean, because the most recent deck uh, daily we have actually has Montolio, who is one of the best mm-hmm. known workshop pilots out there, right? And he plays Forno, the workshop deck that is looks very much like the ones mm-hmm. he did really well with early in the summer, right? Thought not Seer, Trike, but there are some interesting. Here, well, right, to reflect Kaladesh. Yeah, it looks like it looks like he's playing a very near copy of Nick Dijon's top eight deck from Eternal Extravaganza. Right. Mm-hmm. He's got triple Fleet Wheel Cruiser, one Sky Sovereign console flagship, and one Inventor's Fair. He also has Factories back in the deck, and he's removed the Eldrazi which is a nod toward the vehicle crewing, of course. And he's and he shaved down to one Hangerback Walk. So yeah, I mean it's. It's pretty straightforward. This this is this kind of deck is I think gonna be very popular. I agree too. I I don't know if Fleet Wheel Cruiser is going to be in it for the long term in vintage, but right, right. It might have. But the a top eight result at Eternal Extravaganza that was a large event. That's a respectable finish. And then a 4-0 finish by Montolio. We know you know longtime workshop aficionado. A 4-0 finish with, to my eyes, the same list. There might be a couple of differences in the sideboard, but, you know, three Fleet Wheels, one Sky Sovereign, one Inventor's Fair. This is a, a clear, this is a clearly that uh, Montolio was interested in testing Nick Dijon's list uh, in the daily here. And I think a lot of players will be inspired right, to build right. shops list very close to this. Yeah, I mean, this, I think that players at the Eternal Weekend, look, Workshops always does well. And this is a very consistent deck. It does have variants around Thought Not Seer, but it's a deck mm-hmm. that just does well. It performs well. And Trike and Sky Sovereign are really well positioned. You you gum up the works, and all you need to do is pick off that, that Pyromancer or that Ment and then clean up. And I can see the attraction of Fleetwear. I mean, the reason Slash Panther was even used in the first place was to combat Jace the Mind Sculpt. This is a tactic that Functions as direct damage to help deal with uh, planeswalkers, and planeswalkers are mm-hmm. at peak power right now, right? So, so I see the logic behind this. I think this is pretty well. Steve, the the most juicy piece of data we have here is this Eternal Extravaganza top eight. Would you like to dig in and look at some of these decks in a little more detail? I, I would. I just I want to spend just some, another second though, just canvassing what else is in this in in these uh, daily events because there's quite a variety of shop decks. I mean. The other thing that Rich Shea in the beginning and then others have used is this Chief of the Foundry, which I believe came from the LCV. LCV yeah, that was, that was right. right. The LCV finish was the first one to display this Chief and, of the Foundry, Foundry Inspector uh, interaction. Right. So that's another one that might show up that people should be aware of. So why don't you, and just, you know, Per our last podcast on Kaladesh, we speculated that people might play Trike and Sky Sovereign together. And this, these LCV deck lists, which have been Richet's used and others, mm-hmm. have four Trikes and two Sky Sovereign. So they really are going all in on being able to take out mentors. Yeah, this is well, this is one of the things mentors. you keyed in on is that but, some some early criticizers of Sky Sovereign said, well, it's it's not as good as Trike, right? <laughs> to which you pointed out. Yeah, but how many trikes would you play if you could (laughs) because of how good it is? Well, these decks are starting (laughs) to answer that question because... 
six total is a that's a healthy number. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's an important thing. And then on the far other end, you've got Rick Shea, who's I think you know formed very well with this much more controlling workshop variant mm-hmm. that uses smokestack and null rod. That it has three ensnaring bridge main deck, which is very tactically powerful against <laughs> against mentor. Of course, the problem is <laughs> you have to actually mm-hmm. overcome mentor token generation, which is not easy, not going to be easy. I can imagine a, a real battle. So the reason I think that's one of the reasons these decks all have tabernacles, right? right? Yeah, just so uh, Rich Shay's list has and two, two more tabernacles in the tabernacle. sideboard because you're exactly right. This list is clearly a throwback to Terra Nova with and with a bit of an eye toward uh, some of the new tools. Rich, in one of his finishes that was 4-0, included a single copy of Girapur Orari from Kaladesh, which is the four-mana artifact which lets each player play another land, and if you start your turn with an empty hand, you draw three cards. And he's up to two copies in this particular list of Inventor's Fair. Yeah, exactly. So we've got exactly. we've got this uh, uh. Uh, vehicle-heavy build, which is looking more like the Slash Panther model of old. Slightly faster with a large, hasty creature that can end the game yes. quickly and threaten planeswalkers out of nowhere. We've got this slightly more traditional approach, which by traditional we mean the dominant Thought Not Seer, yeah, from the last, In the last exactly, which is just adapting months. new yeah. tools. Basically, the Sky Sovereign uh, fits into the, the structure of that deck very well. And then we've got this Terra Nova throwback list that mm-hmm. Rich has been having some success with. So that's a null rod smokestack deck well, utilizing and, some of the newer tools. Which is what the N- which is what the right. NYSE guys played last year, right? They all showed it, up with it, that. It, Vintage Championship uh-huh. 2015. The the Farinos and Nick Detweiler showed up with what they were calling Terra Nouveau, which was a nod to the fact that they had made some innovations to the Terra Nova deck, made it more reliant and powerful in terms of Tabernacle because they were playing with uh, Darksteel Juggernaut thanks to its interaction with Tabernacle, and also thanks to the how good it is at staving off Dak Faden activations. So the combination of those effects led them to that list, and Rich, I think, is taking the next logical step using some of the Kaladesh toys. Yeah, I mean, if I had to put my money on what would do well, I would say what Montolio played is probably the, the most pro- popular bet. It's had a long track record, but I could easily see some of these Fleet Wheel Cruiser shop stacks appearing in top eight just saw one this past weekend you know mm-hmm. in the top tables i could see it depending on how they position and what they face um the aggro version of shops have always traditionally i think performed better historically just there's <laughs> you just kind of have uh you know your opponents on the eighth like they have to do more to dig out than you do mm-hmm. to win just eke out but but i think that there is i think deep in rich's bones he knows that workshops are really overpowered. And and despite the fact that workshops have suffered two restrictions the last year, I think they still remain very attractive for players who really want to oh, grab yeah. the brass ring, right? And they kind of know it. And the fact that Rich is testing these a lot online suggests to me that he believes that and is trying to fit, verify that. So I, I think there's a really good chance he shows up and does well with something like this, but I don't think this is the kind of deck You mean the, the null rod smokestack list is not not going so. to be the, the standard? Yeah, that, that requires a tremendous amount of skill to utilize well relative to just kind of the tempo, sheer force power. Yeah, well, it's, it's inside of the workshop right. archetype. It's the equivalent of the old analogy about how control decks are hard to build for unknown formats. Only, only, only people who have a very strong bead on the format and yes. all the matchups and all the intricacies exactly. 
and are good at anticipating f- metagame shift can successfully construct, let alone play, a control deck in a, in a new environment. But I also think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I think you're exactly right. That's a great point. But I also think that the six trike deck list is going to be very attractive in oh, yeah. a field full of Absolutely. That's, that's really I, where I really do be. like the way that console <laughs> I mean, flagship uh, matches up against Pyromancer and Mentor, assuming you've got the other tools to keep their 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 breadth in check. Exactly, exactly. Now, there is a little bit of a, a wild card that showed up a couple times <laughs> in these decks, all, which are some paradoxical outcome decks. You and I have talked a good deal in our last podcast. We <laughs> spent a whole hour on paradoxical outcome. It's, it's merits and it's demerits. I think these deck lists kind of exactly sure. reflect what we were talking about, right? Um, I would not be surprised at all to see Brian DeMars and Paul Mastriano show up with a Steel City Vault deck. Um, it's just a place that they like to be, um, and Paradoxical could well in that. The decks that's done well, I think, is Rich Shea and Matthew Marie developed a list that had a, just a kitchen sink <laughs> of singleton things that we talked about in our last podcast, like Grim Monolith, and uh, we talked about Voltaic Key and uh, you know Injury Explosives and things like that. But I think that it, the limits of Paradoxical Outcome are also in full, which is that you kind of have to play a lot of mana, and it's not very easy to protect it. And so, you know, I, I, that's that's going to have to sort itself out. Based upon the Eternal Extravaganza evidence, the Gush deck seemed to be the the big favorite. Paradox mm-hmm. Outcome was in the field. It did not. We'll get to it in a minute. But there is a 4-0 uh, Oath Paradox deck, and then there's one. There are a couple in the last month, right? In this month. And then there's another that was more of a Belcher deck. It's a, um, and then there was one that Ray Robillard played that was in one of these daily. It wasn't a Belcher deck. It was structured like Belcher because of its uh, focus on Tolarian Academy. That was an expedition map deck focused on finding academy. So what we've what we've what we're seeing is people testing the bounds of what we talked about. Basically, all the different ways you can build this deck, and people are certain. Yeah, yeah, people are certainly we testing it. We basically predicted it. But you, if you recall, I went on record saying I didn't think it was going to break through, and so far, it, you know, Eternal so Extravaganza it didn't. But we'll see. And people are clearly testing it, have, uh, having mixed results on Magic Online. I, I should mention I think Danny Batterman mm-hmm. did play it in the Academy deck this past weekend, which the results haven't shown up yet. But he topped. But let's. I mean, clearly, if I'm predicting the environment, I think there Paradox is going to be a tiny yeah. version, of, tiny, <laughs> just projecting forward. I think based upon just Q3 paper and um you know i'll go on i'm ready to go on record for my shops i think it's interesting because last year shops one could say almost just dominated the event i mean i think there were like four there were, there were texts in the top there were three eight, in the top eight and then brian demars was it brian was was in ninth place with shops yeah that's Mars what it was ninth place and then there were one or two more yeah. in the top 16 yeah. i mean it had a, yeah, a I strong mean, showing it was really good. And of course, there's been two restrictions since then. I mean, that was right after Hangerback Walker got printed, right? It was Hangerback and Sandman. Um, but but on the other side is we've got these insane printings for Shop. I mean, not just the Eldrazi from five months ago, but mm-hmm. these vehicles and then these new lands. So Shops gets a huge... There were 100 Shop decks out of 63 players, which is exactly 2.5%, I believe. I think there's a chance, 21.6%, I think there's a chance we'll have more workshops this year. Honestly, I think we might see 22% of the 2.5% of the field of shop. I think there's a chance of that. Now, the the problem with that is that Eldrazi takes away a lot of the shop kind of player base. So I think you and I, before we even get to Eternal, maybe want to do Extravaganza. I think that's kind of the, the range that we're looking at oh, for shops, right? Absolutely. At, at, you know, at its higher points in the metagame, we've talked about it being between 20 and 25%. And yeah, pretty consistently. And consistently, for the past yeah. few months, there's been ups and downs, which I already alluded to in July and August. But when you get to a tournament of this size, 
and it, th- those kind of things get smoothed out, right? And so, it, you know, external extravaganza yeah. showed shops a little below 20%, which I found a little bit surprising, but still it was 17 and a half. That's still a re- totally respectable number. And the there are a number of overlapping effects, which we're going to talk to in, in, by way of prediction for the whole of the Champs metagame, but I can't imagine a scenario where Shops is more than a couple percent away from 20%. Yeah, it would be hard. It, Eldrazi would really yeah. have to bite into Shops number, like White Eldrazi and Colorless Eldrazi to make that happen. Yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's just let's go to the Eternal Extravaganza, and then we'll do our All right, prediction. so we'll go through the top eight decks here. First, Well, can we do the metagame? Do you want to do the, that or the metagame okay, let's breakdown? let's do the metagame first, actually. That's probably the better way. So these are the archetype breakdowns that Matt Murray and Ryan Eberhardt have been providing us. Uh, thank you very much to both of you for the, all your work for past recent metagame and tournament reports. So archetype-wise, we're talking... 114 deck lists. 114 the deck lists. The highest single overall archetype in terms of number of players was Gush. 35 players, which makes 31%. 30. 31%. Most yep. popular. That's Second the place, most workshops. Yep. 20 players makes 17.5%. Almost 20%. Mm-hmm. That's below the And I think part of that is due to the next one, but, as you were yep. alluding. Eldrazi is in third place, 14 players, <laughs> yeah. or 12.3%. Yep. So if you add Eldrazi and Shops <laughs> together, you get 30% again. <laughs> So the Gush and Shops and Eldrazi together. Yeah. Well, together, that's sixty percent of the field, right? That's most of most of well, the deck list there. And the I, the anyway, other category comes in more. in fourth place at at nine point six percent. But ignoring other for the moment, the the next most popular archetype was Dredge. Nine players is seven point nine percent. It yeah eight percent yeah. And then combo it's combo at seven percent, and then I'll just yeah. also mention Oath at just above five. These are this is very consistent i feel like what i've seen in vintage history like you know the kind of ebbs and flows dredge is seemingly mm-hmm. always between five and ten percent right oath is seemingly between five and ten percent i mean that would have been the vintage format five years ago seven <laughs> years ago eight years ago right i mean it's just <laughs> there's a kind uh, of eldrazi is going to be an x factor this year uh, and okay. probably the hardest single thing to predict in both its own number and right. also what it's going to take the oxygen from. You've already you've already mentioned shops. Eldrazi is clearly taking oxygen from shops, but that's not the only factor. Well, so well, we've talked about this for literally months now that the Jayco Drazi deck is a budget op. People can come in again. Let's say they're primarily there for legacy, but they just want it, the whole experience. They could build a budget Eldrazi mm-hmm. deck, and that's what they play at Vintage Champ. And do well. So we have to anticipate that that's... And do well. We have to anticipate that's going to be more prevalent than it would in an yeah, otherwise proxy. Totally event. agree. Very interesting metagame breakdown. I think it's very consistent Absolutely. with what we've seen this year, right? Gush, gush around 30%, just below kind of levels of dominance in my opinion eldrazi and shops combined to equal gush that's what we've seen this midsummer at nyse and as at other my places. observations of the q3 results demonstrated gush has been divided into two main pillars and and they've been jockeying for position some months one is more than the other but we're talking about mentor which is either just guy or well, Esper mentor and then the pyromancer decks which right. have been predominantly grixis pyromancer the cobble therapy baleful strix kind of build uh for the last few months yeah those are the two most popular but mentor has always been yeah. about 60 percent of the gush yeah decks. mentor has been the more popular 50 to 60 percent i mean since since this entire year this entire year mentor has been a majority of the gush decks and that's no ex- exception here right i mean a- according to this there were 20 
Mentor deck mm-hmm. that were 17 and a half percent of the field. And then among the Pyromancer so, and Gush deck, I'm sorry, the Pyromancer and that, and slash Delver decks, there were nine. So that was about a two to one ratio of Mentor but, to but, Pyromancer. But there were seven yeah. Delver decks. Which is unusual. And Pyromancer well, that, that's unusual though, because <laughs> that's the key. Grixis Pyromancer yeah. has been far and away the most popular Pyromancer deck online for the last few months. Yeah. Well, it's one of the, the effects summer. I wanted to talk yeah. to is the fact well, that we know that Eldrazi, there's a very good chance that Eldrazi is going to be the most popular budget deck or the most popular deck that people without power are going to bring to the table. But that said, last year at Vintage Champs, and I think again this year, there's also going to be a slight uptick in Delver because Delver is a very popular legacy deck that people without yeah. power would still be inspired to yes. bring to the table, even unpowered, or just something that they could throw so, a couple so, of pieces of power into if they are able to borrow. There is this. There's been an interesting uptick. We saw Delver basically almost disappear at the beginning of the year, and there are a couple reasons for that. One is that it's hard to build an optimal mentor deck with Delver, <laughs> and you really want to play mentor. So people who are playing Delver are doing basically what folks did in the Vintage Super League. They're going really, really narrow right? You're playing incredibly efficient spells. You're probably playing Sulfur Elemental mm-hmm. and you're playing a lot of tempo, right? You're playing on a very light mana base. So Delver is an attractive metagame choice, but I don't think it's a fundamental part. In other words, the way I would view it is Delver is a place way to position yourself in this metagame, but it's not kind of like a fundamental element of the metagame like it was I would a year agree. ago or two years ago. I would agree completely. That's my take. So Del- Delver is kind of like a, a natural like percent of the metagame now, but as a metagame choice, I think it could have, probably have like yeah. a ceiling of 8 or 9%. And I think budget factors push that number higher. Uh, yeah, up to that, that upper, uh, upper realm, yeah, upper but part not of above. Yeah. I, do still, I do still think... Jake Odrazi will be the more popular budget choice on the whole. Let's get to the let's get to the rest of this metagame. And then, yeah, because we're trying to predict the. the so where the do you want to go next? Tournament. <laughs> so Take we away, talked Kevin. about the overall breakdown. We talked about how the gush decks break down. Let's just touch on the other biggest pillar, which is uh, shops. And of the twenty shop players, fourteen of them were Ravager Thought Not Seer, which we've already known for a while is the predominant uh, workshop build at the moment, or at least going into this event. And the those Fleet Wheel Cruiser and Console Flagship decks are going to continue to follow this model, and I expect going into Eternal Weekend, as Steve already elucidated, that, that to be the default and predominant build of workshops. Other than that, what was in third place? Well, that was Eldrazi. Eldrazi had 14 players, and it broke out almost even. Eight eight white Eldrazi, six tribal Eldrazi, or Jake Eldrazi, which just goes to show that even if people have all the choice in the world to build whichever Eldrazi deck they want in an event as large and (laughs) and strong as Eternal Extravaganza, we're still seeing a split of about 50-50 between people choosing the, the white Eldrazi versus the tribal. And then in fourth place with Dredge, nine appearances. That Dredge, those Dredge lists have really consolidated basically around the what uh, Matt and Ryan are calling anti-hate Dredge, which is basically just the more consistent and grindy lists that are good at playing through the hate post sideboard, as opposed to some of the other fringe speed lists like the Fate Stitcher lists of the path. Let's talk. Let's take a look at the actual top eight lists then. In first place, we have Joe Brennan with Jeskai Mentor featuring Jace Rin's Prodigy. This list has a couple of interesting points where he deviates from what I would call a stock mentor list of, of this ilk. He has three mentors and three Jace, one Vendillion click. 
That's right. Vendillion Click stands out because it's a three-mana creature that could have been Monastery Mentor number four. But Joe made a very purposeful decision to not have a fourth mentor and have this somewhat disruptive, somewhat evasive, somewhat tricky uh, Vendillion Click in its place. And I think that's a nod to to its disruptive potential in in Control Mirrors or other Gush Mirrors. Another interesting addition in the main deck is one copy of Narset Transcendent. Well, I finally, finally, I think. Narset is good. Up, huh? <laughs> uh, not great, but I think Narset is good. And here she shows up in first place of a large event. Uh, clearly, he could have gone with more copies of Jace the Mind Sculptor here, as you said. Three copies of Jace Friend's Prodigy, though, makes that uh, prohibitives in some cases. So another four mana card advantageous quality blue planeswalker here. And then, j- go ahead. No, you well, go ahead. I think what's, yeah, I was going to say one of the, so this is not a, a stock Grixis like we've seen in the past, right? Where it's you mean, you mean Jeskai. Or two Pyromancer or three Pyromancer. Je- I'm sorry, <laughs> not exactly, Jes- Jeskai Mentor. He's got this whole array of, of really, he's got, what is it, seven or eight <laughs> well, planeswalkers yeah. in here? And there are two deck fades I didn't mention. I, right, two deck fades. In fact, what's notable mm-hmm. is that's the only red card he has main deck, right? He's got four plows main deck. No no sulfur elemental, no... No light, pyroblast main. Um, no pyroblast. In fact, he has two preordained and two probe. So he's he's kind of expanded the mana base a little bit. He has a main deck Caracas with 16 land. And he has all five Moxen. So this is not the not the typical just a little guy more controlling. mentor deck we've seen in the past. No and doubt. he keeps with that theme post-sideboard where two copies of Supreme Verdict and, and two pyroblasts for the control matchups right. in the sideboard. Well, again, protecting his... his large suite of planeswalkers, right? So, in second place, we have Zohar Bagat with Jeskai Control. Now, it's funny to talk about Jeskai Mentor and then start talking about Jeskai Control, given how controlling the first place list was, but this this is a straight-up yeah. seven Planeswalkers plus an, a copy of Emrakul to go with Nahiri the Harbinger kind of list. This is a, this is a moat deck. This is a main deck, Engineered Explosives, Supreme Verdict, Balance, three plows deck but it's also a gush deck this is the yeah he's got gushes as part of the draw engine and, as, and by gush right. i mean the gush delve draw engine right i mean he's got the the cantrips and preordain the gush dig and treasure but, but this is the kind of deck that i really think people show up tend to show up with at, at vintage champs people tend mm-hmm. to play more more blue control decks and you know they they break out break them out for this event and you know this is again a seven planeswalker deck with a lot of I think we can expect to see decks like this. Well, at I mean point. we already have because last year John Grudzina made top eight with a Jeskai Moat Control deck. And it, it, exactly. yeah, this is the logical extension of that of list. It. And I agree with you that that certain players right. will be attracted to this. And this is very this is, this is already shown its success both with Matt Murray piloting a similar Nahiri kind of gush control deck in the the Power 9 online, and now here Zohar has got a second place performance with it. Third place is current Vintage Champion Brian Kelly with his latest take on Kelly Oath, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) This this one has two key features, though. One is the inclusion of Dragonlord Dramica over Gristlebrand. Which which he played last year, right? He played That's Korax, right. He had all three of Dragonlord, them. And, Gristlebrand. and he's been favoring Gristlebrand plus Salvagers lately without the, the Dragonlord. This time, he's only has Salvagers and the Dragonlord. And also, this time, he has Gush. Yes. He's mm-hmm. managed to weave Gush into the deck list. At some cost, though, there's only two Orchards now in order exactly. to accommodate the Gush mana base. But he's got, he's got three Gushes in here. He, and not a lot of planeswalkers. Yeah, which I find interesting. But he does have his kind of suite of flexible control cards. He's got balance, 
Repeal, Ancient Grudge, Beast Within, which helps make up some of the ground for the, the Forbidden Orchards. Yep. Engineered Explosives and Pyrite Spellbomb, of course. So this is an interesting... It, it's, it's hard to say that this is more or less controlling than the other list, because Gush means that he can play a longer game and be competitive where Oath isn't involved, I would say, because he's, you know, he's got more card advantage built in that way. Yeah, he's got, he has, yeah. he's running the Gush Delve engine, which, you know, has has completely replaced mm-hmm. the Gush Bond engine, but the Gush Delve engine is here in its totality. I don't think I've, seen, he did run big in the right. past, but I don't think he ran Treasure, but here we've, here we've got Treasure Cruise along with Probe and Preordain. Of course, in last year's list, Brian had two copies of Dig Through Time and no Treasure Cruise. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so now it's going to be interesting to see how much of this particular build of his affects people who are inspired or interested in playing Kelly Oath and Champs, right? Because now we have this this kind of last-minute zig <laughs> in the archetype from its creator, and we'll see how that yeah. affects people. Fourth place is Blue Moon, piloted by Brad Gutkin, or Gutkin, I'm sorry, Brad, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Now, this is a bit of old and a bit of new, right? Blue Moon's been around for a while, on the fringes of success. It's a Trinket Mage Blood Moon-based control deck and it has had a number of has a handful of certain cards come in and out of it certain finishers like consecrated sphinx different uh, planeswalker control packages different removal packages key features i think of brad's list here are two main deck scab clan berserker which is fascinating a nod toward control and or and or combo matchup he has five planeswalkers Two Dak, two Jace, one Chandra, Torch of Defiance, which we reviewed and didn't think anybody would ultimately play, mm-hmm. but here's one copy in the in the one deck that I think that it makes sense in. He's got the requisite Blood Moons and Counterspell package, I think, but Well, I think we said I think we mentioned that it yeah. would see play in a mm-hmm. Blue Moon deck. That's where it would see play if exactly. it's all play. Yeah. Also three main deck copies of Sudden Shock, which is Clearly a way to stay ahead of the game in the Mentor and Pyromancer matchup. Looking into the sideboard for anything especially interesting, he's got the the technology that uh, that JP Kohler played at the at the NYSE of Rolling Earthquake in his deck that was called The Answer, (laughs) but was also Blue Moon, right? Rolling Earthquake is a personal favorite of mine. Just so folks know, it it's Earthquake, except that it doesn't doesn't damage creatures who have horsemanship. So wipes. Yeah, yeah, very out flexible. Good in a lot of matchups. In fifth place, we've got Blue White Landstill, piloted by Sean French. This is a deck. This is a deck that I see a lot, actually, on Magline in the two. So I don't know what that means, but not specifically this deck, but Blue definitely White Blue White Landstill is still stays popular on the edge of the metagame. And noteworthy features of Sean's list here are the two Spell Quellers, which when you and I reviewed Spell Queller. We yes. definitely recognize that it would be a nice addition to a deck list like this, given its flexibility, comparative power, and just yes. overall synergy with what everything the deck is trying to do. Aside from that, this list looks, I don't want to say stock, but it looks not unusual. Two copies of Snapcaster is, is flexible. Three Jace is typical. Mode is typical. Three Sword. A, a diverse counterspell package. Two Drain, one Spell Snare, one Flusterstorm, one Mindbreak Trap, but that's not altogether unusual. And then one main deck copy of Disenchant for flexible removal against Shops and Oath. Overall, this list looks just pretty well metagamed. In sixth place, we have <laughs> what they're calling Dark Jeskai Mentor. This is Ross Pranzer. I hope I'm doing that right, Ross. Sorry. But what we're looking at here is the intersection of Jeskai and Esper Mentor, basically. That is to say, it doesn't have the probe plus cobble therapy package that Esper Mentor has, but it does have 
the Notion Thief, Critical, Mirror Match, Trump. Also, two copies of Dak Faden is what the red gets you in the main, plus a Pyroblast. Otherwise, relatively stock. Four, month, four mentors, a Snapcaster, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, four Gush. Of note in the sideboard, one copy of Fragmentize, which is interesting because he's on red, but has no ingot chewers in the sideboard. <laughs> so this is... Right. Well, part of the reason... That's true. Part of the reason is because he has a planes, and he's got his fetchland configuration. Yep. Is four so there's planes, there's one so. Fragmentize and one Disenchant on the board, dis- so a little bit of a hedge there. But, but this is exactly what we were talking about. I mean, when we were spent so much time in Fragmentize, it's because of how mm-hmm. it reconfigures sideboards and decks, right? It means people no longer have to have, and that's that's kind of what we've got here. I mean, he does have red, but he doesn't have to roll yep. crutch on it to the same degree. You now no longer must have ingot chewers yep. or True. interest claim in the sideboard. And we're seeing that in action here. I expect to see many mentor lists with fragmentized in their sideboard at champ. Me too. It's interesting though that he's got an Aethersworn Canonist and Glenelendra. Oh yes, Glenelendra Archmage. That's interesting. Clearly an anti-mirror kind of card because it's too slow for combo matchup where it, were it in play, it would be really strong. Yeah. But what a devastating card in a in a gush kind of mirror for the mid to late game. Seventh place is another Jeskai Mentor list. This one by Apollo Cesari. Noteworthy features of this list are relatively few creatures. Three Mentors and one Jace Vrin's Prodigy. Three Dak Faden, one Jace the Mind Sculptor. So not an overly abundant amount of Planeswalkers either. Where'd all these cards go? Well, four Preordain, two Pyroblast and a Flusterstorm in the main. So high number of counterspells. And he included Strip Mine and Library of Alexandria. Given all the Planeswalkers we're seeing, I'm not at all surprised that there's so many Fleet Wheel Cruisers Excellent. around. That's an interesting... What? Good point. It's an interesting... It's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic here that you're kind of seeing fewer creatures mm-hmm. and a lot more planeswalkers at least this event this had event. a very control heavy top eight too so we'll see if how much of that pans out in the larger vintage champ but paulo's list here because it is more traditional in its sideboarding technique he does have a mountain to fetch four ingot chewers pulverized two two copies of pulverized and sudden shock so this is the old school pre-fragmentized kind of model whereby the sideboard is heavily influenced by red and it's being used powerfully to fight shop and in eighth place nick dijon with car shop we've already alluded to this deck in some detail but it's very close to the standard thought not seer arcbound ravager builds nick shaved one thought not seer down to three which nick shaved one trike down to three (laughs) added four vehicles (laughs) yeah and included four vehicles i'm trying to see what else it is that he shaved in order to make room for those vehicles oh that's right there's zero hangerback walker that's where the rest of it came from and as we noted earlier the mana base includes four mishra's factory instead of temples eldrazi temples that's related to the shaving of the thought not seer and it also includes one inventor's yep. fair. And then the standard, the sideboard is relatively standard with cage, crucible, relic, crypt, dismember, worm coil, and one jester's cap. That's not standard. One jester's cap. A little bit of synergy with inventor's sure, fair there sure. for certain matchups. I bet he brought it in a lot. <laughs> Should- so overall, this top eight was very blue heavy, very control heavy. Yeah, well, let me let me just run through the rest of the X2s just really quickly. Ninth play was, place was Jeskai Delver. Mm-hmm. Tenth was Ravager TKS Shops. Eleventh was Ravager TKS Shops with Cruisers. Twelfth was, was Salvage, Salvager's Oath. Thirteenth was Four Color Odd Oath Still. Fourteenth was Blue White Emra Still. <laughs> Blue-White Landstill with the Emrock. 15th was Ravager TKS Shop. 16th was Brian Eberhardt with Grixis Therapy. Uh, 17th was Ravager Shops. So there's a lot of Ravager Shops in the tops in the 9th through 16th, 
right? We've got uh, mm-hmm. three there, and one in 17th. 18th is Bugfish, 19th is Moat Control, 20th is Radford TKS Shops, 21st is White Eldrazi, 22nd is Jeskai Mentor, Salvager O with the Salvager 20th Jeskai And then we have some percentage breakdowns and wins against the field. It should be noted that as decks get become a larger part of the field, they tend to their win percentages tend to gravitate towards 50%. Uh, but but Gush decks overall had a 61% win percentage. This is the best win percentage for Gush decks in four or five months in a big event. Um, I think that bodes well for yeah. Gush heading into the the champs um hard control also had a 61.4 percent win percentage which was the second highest win and the highest win percentage was oath at 62.5 percent which i think again bodes well let's not forget oath won the last two vintage championships in metagames primarily defined by workshops and gush decks 2014 and 2015 Mm -hmm. so and don't forget the asia vintage same thing same thing now i will say (laughs) in terms of the specific breakdown if you break down all six Oath decks, the four best-performing Oath decks were Salvager's Oath and Oath Still, which had a individually 71% percentage, individually, which is astronomical. Blue Moon, though, had, was mm-hmm. only one in the entire tournament, had a 77.8% percent. Very, 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 very low number, <laughs> but very high performance. <laughs> That's what happens when you're only Top one playing four. the deck and you end up in, yeah. four, in fourth place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that I'd like to point to is workshop with an overall win percentage of exactly 50.0 percent which is low for shops yeah i mean that's that's usually is like mid 60s it's still that's right it was in the in the prior two major northeast events it was the one pushing 60 percent win percentage and pushing everything else down i mean combo had 36 percentage usually 50 is actually (laughs) oddly enough above average (laughs) (laughs) and also i'd like to point to dredge at 43.1 percent there was not a dredge deck in any of those that you listed that is no dredge deck made yeah, x2 if you or better break down the dredge thing and, and and i think we're kind of ready to pivot to our prediction but if you there was nine mm-hmm. dredge decks eight let's say standard and then one pitch the pitch dredge deck had a 60 percent win percentage the other ones had a 41.3 percent win percent pitch dredge in my opinion is definitely where you want to be if you're playing dredge it's just performed really well i think it did really well at the last uh, mtgo one of the last Power 9 events, MTGO Power 9. Event. Yeah, they did have one one strong performance yeah. there. I also think that, that that particular build of Dredge is probably superior in a number of ways relative specifically to Champs. It's probably superior in a format where it's difficult to prepare for the whole yes. field, right? Because you've got flexible, free answers in, your, in the form of your counter spells as opposed to tailor-chosen removal yeah. spells, right? Which can be tricky to both select for your sideboard <laughs> and navigate. But al- but also I think that it just has a little bit more raw power, right? You're going to get turns that are a little bit more tempo. You're going to end games faster by just denying your opponent plays tempo-wise. And that's a valuable thing to have over the course of a potentially 10 or more round tournament. I agree. Shall we get on to predictions? So I think we should. I don't know so what structure think, do you we'll want to take we'll here. I mean, we'll, you want to talk about what no, the, we'll the whole archetype. metagame? We'll do shops, gush, and then we'll just take it one at a time. And whoever's closest will win that that prediction okay <laughs> <laughs> all right so i think we're both Fair in enough. agreement that gush is going to be the large medic by kind of archetype mm-hmm. so do you want to start with the prediction it's a good good time to plug my gush book <laughs> 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 uh-uh. <laughs> well i think all signs as you said are pointing to gush being the the most dominant or not dominant the most popular archetype in the tournament with as a mentor whole. Being the... And even though there's been a lot of variants, yeah, with Mentor being the single most popular deck, I think that the I think that the 
Eternal Extravaganza results might overstate, they might be a little bit higher than the overall Vintage Champs gush number, because I think, boy, it's tough though, I think Shops and Eldrazi are going to take up a little bit more of the space going in. Not much more though, boy, I think 30%, I feel really comfortable with 30% on gush now that I think about it. (laughs) Between, well, between 18% Mentor and then another another 12% amongst uh, Grixis Pyromancer and Delver. I don't know that. Yeah. I am predicting that there will be more Delver at Champ than in the broader metagame for the past six months. But the thing is, Eternal Extravaganza had 6% Delver. I, I That's a high number. And had very low percentage of Pyromancer, 1.8%. Only two people played Pyromancer at Eternal Extravaganza. I, fi- I expect there to be much more Pyromancer at Champs. So I'm expecting Pyromancer about 5%. I'm expecting Delver at 4 or 5%. I'm expecting Mentor at, you know, 15 to 18%. Interesting. So I think I think just under 30 is probably where it's going to where it's going to be. I'm going to go like uh, like 28%. I will take the over gush. on that. I think there's going to be about I'm going to take about 31 to 33%. I'll just go 31% since you took 28. <laughs> I'm going to reserve the right yeah, to make the edit okay. when we get to the end if my numbers don't add up to 100%. I'll notate this, but uh <laughs> Yeah, we're we're punching this up on the fly here. I'm going to expect 31% gush, and I think it's going to be about... We're going to just evaluate ourselves on the overall gush numbers, but I think it's going to be about 20% Mentor. I think it's going to be about what you said, like 5% Mm -hmm. Delver and about 5% Grixis. And I think it's going to be... That actually doesn't leave me a lot of room, because I think there's going to be a number of these other gush control decks... You know, and like there's going to be some Doomsday. Yeah. There's going to be other Gush decks. So I want to I want to provide two to three percent for other Gush decks, but it, it might even be more than that. It might be more like four or five percent. So I'm gonna for now I'm gonna sit on thirty three percent Gush. Let's say that. I might be I might be under. That's a good point. I might be underestimating how popular Gush has become as a supporting cast in control decks and even recently with Brian Kelly's Oath decks. So I'm glad you said that. I'm going to revise my okay, estimate I'll up still to take 30. the over. I'll still take the... Because, I, I, yeah, that's fine. I, because, I, yeah, I hadn't accounted for that. I think some people are going to be inspired by the performance of this Nahiri control deck and in this event. So and people in, in who the would otherwise nine. come in with just non-Gush control deck, Big Blue, might be more inclined to run the Gush Delve engine is what you're... Yeah. Yeah. And the I restriction, that's, of, that's what I'm the restriction of Chalice okay. of the Void certainly incentivizes that. Yes, that's true. All right, so we should probably talk about shops yes. next, let's, right? Let's do shops and Eldrazi can kind of, yeah. What? I, no, I don't no, want to combine true. them. Uh, I meant let's conjoin, okay. not combined. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, so I think there's a couple of countervailing factors here. The first is that I think Hangerback Walker was a huge incentive to play shops last year, especially for top players mm-hmm. who thought that they could come in with brand new shop decks and dominate. But mm-hmm. so I think that there was kind of like a kind of let's say a bifurcation shop player base. Like the top shop players came in with Hangerback. And then I think there there were if it had been more lead time, I think there would have been shops half percent. But so that so in other mm-hmm. words I'm saying is I think shops was oddly enough, underrepresented at last year's Vintage Champs, and there would have been more had people known how good Hangerback Ravager was. But the, mm-hmm. So I think it was underrepresented last year. I also think, though, the restriction of Lodestone Golem and Chalice is a huge knock against Shops compared to the people who played it last year. There are people who played Shops last year who I don't think are going to play Shops this year. Um, I think that's just a fact. Yes. And I think that some of those players are going to be playing Eldrazi and or White Eldrazi because they like Prison. Um, but the Eldrazi are really, really good, and they've proven themselves really good, especially in shop stacks. 
And the vehicles are huge new printings for shops. So that means that people are going to be more attracted to shops than otherwise. So you've got kind of have to weigh these factors that cut across each other and cut in different directions. I think ultimately shops was underestimated last, despite how like whatever, despite the restriction by whatever, I think we're going to have more shops this year actually by a slight amount. That's where I'm, what do you, you mean? Do yes, you mean as, as a percentage, percentage then? So points, last year shops was a hundred percent. Yeah. Last year was, yeah. The, the, for the, the people we have deck lists for, which means a hundred out of 461. Yes. I thought it was four hundred sixty three. That's whatever. That's, it's twenty one and a half percent. Yeah. Uh, either one. So yeah, I think it's gonna be so you you think this year I has do. more energy behind it? I think it's going to be more like 22.5%. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to weigh these factors against <laughs> each other, right? I think we're gonna it's going to lose it's going to lose some numbers, but it's going to gain some numbers. And I also think that people realize that Chopped So. And it has you think it has a little more excitement behind it than what had been exactly. generated by Hangerback exactly. Walker going into last year. Yeah, the the, the vehicles are sexier than Hangerback well, Walker is. I think Hangerback <laughs> Walker would be insane, but I don't realize yeah. So I, I yeah. I'm gonna tick it up. Agreed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a 22% shop. Boy, I I can't. I agree with uh, what what you said there. I I just am trying to think how much gonna, is exactly, Eldrazi going exactly. to pull it back down, That's, right? Because there's no equivalent to Eldrazi last year, right? There just isn't. But Eternal Extravaganza has shown us that 17.5% shops, 12.3% Eldrazi. Yeah. I mean, the NYSE four though this summer, recall, had only. 10.8% of the metagame was shops, and 10.8% of the metagame was Eldrazi. So it split the shops right down the middle. Um, I just think there's a lot of momentum behind shops. I just can't see having less shops than last year. But Well, but wh- where is that Eldrazi number going to come from? <laughs> it has to come from shops, doesn't it? Like, it can't come well, we from very much else. We had 17.5% shops uh, right at the Eternal extra- extra- uh, Extravaganza, and I think shops is on the come. It's on right. the rise. The other thing mm-hmm. to bear in mind is that actually i'm here never mind you have to delete that <laughs> okay so so where are you landing on this what did you I'm take you said 22 i'm gonna take the under i'm gonna that, take 20 that's not fair <laughs> it's really what? not fair <laughs> what do you actually <laughs> predict though i know this is... i I predict, I'm looking at Eternal Extravaganza, I believe there will be more shops than an Eternal Extravaganza, but yeah. I also believe, I, I think there's going to be more oh, Eldrazi than an Eternal, I, I agree with Eternal that. Extravaganza. Here's the thing. And I think that, that well, has to, to come from the shop numbers. You said percent. The thing, the thing I, I want to bear yeah. in mind is that the Eternal Extravaganza can be an anchoristic for predicting, but it's certainly not a perfect one. We've known in the past, I've been paying attention to this for well over a decade. Oh, sure. Waterberries and East Coast events do not perfectly predict Midwest Vintage Championships. Gen Con and Waterberries always mm-hmm. had very... They were off by about 20-25%. And one of the big differences is there's always more workshops at Gen Con, which was Indianapolis, than there ever were in the East Coast events. Uh, and so I think that Eternal mm-hmm. Extravaganza is a bad predict with respect to shops. That's my specific contention here. Well, more. I am going... Two and a half percent above it. I know. I just don't think that's quite enough. I think it's going to be. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Well, it sounds like I'm predicting a a slightly higher Eldrazi number than you are, then, because keep in mind that 7% of Eternal Extravaganza was on White Eldrazi, 5.3% was on Eldrazi Tribal. I think that at Champs, those numbers are going to be similar. And the the tribal Eldrazi number is going to go up, so I think seven and seven is probably a reasonable estimate. Yeah. There's a chance that El- tri- tribal Eldrazi will jump white Eldrazi, though. It could be more like five and ten for all we know. I- 
it's, it's you know the the excitement and energy around this Jake Odrazi list is unprecedented, really. We've said it for a number of ways and a number of reasons, but in this particular context, such a good budget deck, still relatively new. I mean, it's been around for a couple months. People know about it, but it's still 5.3% brought it to Eternal Extravaganza. And and shops. And that's an event that allowed proxies. It's been like 10% on the MTGO. So so the under, you're on safe ground going the under. Let me take a look at the Waterbury. Yeah. Shops was... 15% of the water bear. So I, I think it's on the uprise. I think it's going from a very low place this summer on the rise. I think it's going to, I think we're going to see a lot of shop. I, I think we're. Yeah, I agree with you on the yeah. directionality. I just think that, that tribal Eldrazi is going to suck more oxygen out of shops than, fair enough, fair enough. than what you're saying. Well, well, you're all, So do you want to yeah. predict the two Eldrazi numbers separately or just them combine them? Let's make an overall Eldrazi and then what do you think? Yeah, well, so in combination, I feel like, I feel like. 15 that's high wow that's high seems it yeah. seems really high but i just yeah. i just feel like there's gonna, <laughs> people are going to come out of the woodwork with their legacy eldrazi yeah or or even formerly modern well, eldrazi list if we were in a proxy event let's say you would have five percent eldrazi what percentage of people are going to come out of the, what percentage don't give me numbers because we we don't know what the total numbers are and we don't predict that okay so let's think about this then Last year, there were 20 people who signed up for Champs and didn't yeah. even play. <laughs> How many of those people, if you told them last year they could just play this unpowered Eldrazi <laughs> list, would have done it? You know, I, I just think if Champ... Now, we haven't touched on the whole size of the event last year, but 5% of 500 well, people... Well, here's the thing. We haven't touched on this. So maybe right? to resolve this, we have I to think... resolve the question of how many people we predict are actually going to show up to this event. Be- because... Because well, okay. I think you're getting at something that in order to answer that, we do have to kind of make some baseline prediction. I think it's going to be less than Philadelphia last yeah. year, Vintage Champs. Okay. I don't I think that I don't think that speaks bad against the format. I just think moving it to Friday and the weekend of the Halloween weekend just means less people are going to be traveling. Um, yeah, that's, it's unfortunate, but I think you're right. The, 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 the venue change and I the Friday part. I think we're going to be looking part. at like 300 from Champs. I think somewhere around. That's my prediction. Let's also well, let's make a prediction. Put far. your number down. <laughs> I'm going to say 343. Okay, so so it's, it's <laughs> that's that's hilariously specific. I'm just okay. going to say 400. <laughs> okay, so the, going back to what you're what you're observing there, <clears throat> what was I trying to say five percent of 400 is 20 people then? So I, there's no way that only 20 people are going to play. I think it's going to be Jake Eldrazi at champ. It could be a lot, but I think it's going to be at least like 10 to 15 Jake Eldrazi. Then would be 10 to 15. Yeah. Okay. So you and I are you and I are looking in similar directions then if the normal metagame for jake eldrazi looks like and there's no such thing as a normal metagame (laughs) of course in this context but if it looks like eternal extravaganza where it was 5.3 percent yeah then that then that's that's like five percent of of 400 is 20 people of the field will be eldrazi you're predicting that's where i'm landing and i I don't know exactly how people are going to so the white eldrazi is not a budget list Right, so I want to be very sensitive to that as a prediction. I think that there will be more. I think it's very reasonable to think yes, there will be more Jake Odrazi than White Odrazi. I prediction that as and, well. And I would, yeah, and I would say there's a chance that some people are going to shift from one from White to to uh, Tribal out of necessity. And so I think it's very reasonable to think that there could be eight or nine or ten percent on Jake Odrazi, and then another five to seven percent on yep. White Eldrazi. So I think 15 to 17 percent is the right total number, but it's going to flip flop from the way it was laid out in Eternal Extravaganza. So I think I'm going to go with 17 percent. I like that as my number. It's going to be it's going to be nearly 
nearly 10% for tribal Eldrazi and 5-6-7 for, for white Eldrazi. Wow. I mean, I'm just, if, if, if I believe in there that 400 people will show up at champs, I won't be surprised if there are if there are 35, 40 people on tribal Eldrazi. <laughs> it certainly sounds possible. Mm-hmm. Plausible. I just don't think it's likely. I'm going to take in a half percent. <laughs> I love the specificity. <laughs> Do you want to disaggregate that for me? No, I think I think it's going to be like 8.5% tribal and white. Does that add up? Yes, it does. Okay. <clears throat> so you think that? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's that seems that seems reasonable too. All right, we got to talk about oath and we got to talk about dredge. Yes. Now dredge was the next best in terms of quantity at EE five with nine people or seven point nine percent. But dredge has some interesting factors going for it, right? We in past years we've talked about dredge as a budget option for champs. Yeah. yeah. And in, and it still is of a sort, right? Yes. You only need to borrow one critical thing usually. You know, one set of critical things, I should say. And but this year there are <laughs> clearly more options with Jake Odrazi. Yep. But there are certain people who will not be dissuaded from playing Dredge, of course. <laughs> right. And I don't think th- that kind of person will be swayed very much by the presence of another even more budget deck. Last year at Vintage Champs, there were 51 dredge decks, and 51 out of the 460-some that actually played in the event is 11%. Yes. That's a little bit less than 11% if you talk about everyone who registered, but we're really only talking about players here. So 11% last year at Champs. At Eternal Extravaganza, 8%. That gives a pretty reasonable bound, right? For Definitely. No, for the, the, right the area that we're in. Do you think dredge will be diminished by people jumping ship to Jake Odrazi because it's even cheaper. No doubt. Here's the thing. Not only is Jake Odrazi there, but I think there are more budget options in this format than ever. I mean, you mentioned Unpowered Delver, but there's also Hate Bears. Mm -hmm. Um, I think think budget is looking really, really good. I think it's going to hurt Dredge. So people, fewer people will be looking to Dredge as a budget option because there are so many others. Exactly. Reasonable. But, but Dredge does remain a budget option. People can borrow four bazaars and build that deck. Yep. There's a lower bound on its present. And there's been, there's been a lot of energy behind Dredge lately too, with, with, with lots of different builds. There's more diverse builds of Dredge this year than there have been in the past. Definitely lots. Yeah. The, the pitch builds, the prized amalgam builds, the um, the builds that have unmasks or Leyline of the Voids in the main, and then there's also fragmentizes. All the, fragmentizes good, but then there's also all the energy and interest behind uh, Dark Depths, which a lot of people really like. So I think there are some competing factors here, but I do believe it'll be lower than last year. I do believe it'll be 10% or less. Exactly how much lower? You need it was to give 8%, it a number this time. <laughs> yeah, it was 8% at Eternal Extravaganza, so... I'm trying to think, guys, compared to Jake, we're predicting more Jake Odrazi than at right. Eternal Tra- Extravaganza. For sure. And I think that makes sense. That will, yeah, I think that will also diminish Dredge a little bit. It can't be much lower than, than 6 or 7%, though. I'm going to go 7%. Wow. I'm going to take the over. Okay. I think I predicted over on everything except Eldrazi. So I'm going to go 9%. Say again? 9%, 9% Dredge, me. 9%. All right. <laughs> oh, this is funny. <laughs> All right, next up is Oath. Last year at Champs, Oath was in the Force of Will category, so Jaco didn't disaggregate it for us, unfortunately. Hold on, I'll count it. There were 49 copies of Oath last year. That's impressive. That works out to 10.6%, 10.5% last year. And at Eternal Extravaganza, there were six copies for 5.3%, which I am surprised about. I mean, I'm surprised well, we compared re- so differently. We have to remember that Oath won the previous year, too, with Mark Taco. Mm-hmm. So that was probably yep. a big draw. And so that draw exists again, <laughs> possibly Indeed. even more so. Indeed, it does. It's amplified, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And also, there's a lot of variability in how you build dredge these, or, sorry, oaths these days, because, you know, Brian Kelly has continued to iterate, and uh, Shuhei continued to iterate in the VSL, and the oath deck that Mark Taco won with, while it might share 80 or 90% of the same cards, still is functionally considerably different than what's standard today. And there have been all sorts of other interesting iterations along the way, like, uh, like Rich's auto. There's also yep, yeah. quite a few. <laughs> I don't know what to make of all that. I could go anywhere between five and ten, five and maybe five and twelve percent on oath. I think that's exactly the range. <laughs> really, I do. <laughs> I do. I think that's the range. I'll just take ten percent because I think it's anywhere in there. The question is, if you're considering playing oath, what would dissuade you? The big thing that dissuades you is the rise of containment, right? Sure. Which came out last year, right? Mm-hmm. When what was containment priest printed in? Con- it was in Commander. Commander last last fall. Yeah. So that would be the explanation behind a decline of Oath. But I think that's really going to drive people away from it that much. Well, Oath has evolved to be able to handle containment priests. Yes. I can't think of I, I can't think of a compelling way to measure the difference between last year's champs number, ten and a half percent, Eternal Extravaganza at five and a half percent, and and going and all the other factors. How do you feel about Oath as compared to Jake Odrazi? If you're playing Oath, are you glad that there's going to be an uptick in Jake Odrazi? Well, that's the weird thing. You have an insanely good game one if you're Oath, mm-hmm. but the post-board, they have only eight answers, right? <laughs> they have to bring in, they have to bring Grafdigger's Cage and or... Leyline. Leyline, I think Oath is probably a generally fairly even matchup. Probably favor, slightly favored Oath yeah. Jake Odrazi. I think that's fair. So I would expect that anyone bringing Oath to this event is prepared for and confident in their Jake Odrazi matchup. I mean, that's one of Jake Odrazi's scariest matchups, I would imagine. That's why it has so, so. many sideboard cards. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you're the sort of person on White Eldrazi, then you've got access to the Containment Priest and the Caracas and all this other stuff too. So I, I think I would rather play against Tribal Eldrazi with Oath than I would against White Eldrazi. So Definitely. much of White Eldrazi is, is bad news. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have a, I don't have a, a rubric for how to <laughs> predict a different number. I mean, I'm just going to go with the same number as you. 10% is right in the middle <laughs> right. of that range. I think it, it'll be higher than Eternal Extravaganza, clearly. And I think there's, there's energy behind Oath generally going into champs, just yes. <laughs> due to recent history. But uh, how to predict exactly how that energy will manifest, I, I don't have a way. I don't think there's anything else that will be over 10%, right? I mean, combo... Combo could get close. I guess we should predict combo, right? That's a broad category. Yeah, how... How are we going to categorize that exactly? We're so talking th- dark petition is obvious, but then Belcher yes. and yes. and then how are we going to work in uh, the the paradoxical outcome decks? I mean storm decks, other storm decks, other storm decks. You, you, could, hard to you put Steel City into that? Uh, no, I call that ah, it's a time vault combo deck. I don't know. Well, what you've quoted already, Steve, adds up to eighty-eight and a half percent. So, so you've, got 30, four, you've got fourteen point five percent left. <laughs> <laughs> to work with. Huh? That's all I got. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> well, I said 33% gush, 22% shop, 14.5% Eldrazi. So that right there is, is oh, right, because 30 plus 22 is 55, that's 69.5 plus 9, 78 plus 10 is 88.5. Yeah. I, I think combo tends to be a, it's, a lot of people like to bring combo. Combo's going to be 6, 7%. I'll just say 7.5%. That doesn't give me a lot of room for hate bears. <clears throat> I may have to bend, I may have to squeeze some of these numbers down a little bit. Well, and take... you have to believe that hate bears is going to lose a lot of energy thanks to Jake Odrazi, right? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to move my gush to 31%. I said I have to do this at the end. And I'll move Mentor down to 18%. Delver, Mentor gush to 18%. Delver to 5 Grixis to 5 The other gush decks I have at percent. So that adds up to 31%, I believe. So I'm bending that down to 31%. That's still above your 30%, right? Right? 
You had 30% gush? Yes. All right, I'll 31% gush. That gives me 2.5%. I'll go 7.5% on combo. I do need to get like null rod decks in there. I think there's there's always like 40, 45% just null rod decks, like Merfolk, Hate Bears, things like that, right? Well, we've already got Jago Drazi and in that camp. Not counting camp. that. I'm, I'm not counting Mer- that. Yeah. And then there's always like 5% other. So I think I'm, I think I'm there. I think I'm, let me just add up my number like a type. <laughs> <laughs> How much combo do you expect, Kevin? So assuming we're talking about all those lists that we mentioned before, I don't know how to compare it to last year's though, because again, Jaco didn't disaggregate all the force of will decks. So any force of for, combo decks featuring force of will would be in his, his larger number there. There were only 13 non-force of will decks at champs last year, which is only 2.8%. But assuming we're combining Dark Petition, then the Eternal Extravaganza numbers for Dark Petition were only 3.5%. Four people, 3.5% on Dark Petition. And another four people, another 3.5% on other combos, Belcher or other, for a total of 7%. Given that paradoxical outcomes coming out and it's getting some energy from people i have to believe that well but see it might be people who are going to play paradox are going to play dark petition storm anyway yeah are, are you counting steel city in that book do you think is no, that a combo deck i, I to you? don't i don't that's fallen that's, under other yeah. yeah i don't even have i don't even have big blue in here either big blue is always my numbers are off a little bit i just added everything i have 100 even after i push gush down to, i just don't think that leaves enough for a big blue deck so i might have to before I finalize these numbers... <sighs> yeah, we haven't even mentioned Duretti, right? There's some energy behind yeah. Duretti, which hasn't manifested in either paper or online. Maybe it just won't manifest, but I know that there are some people who like Duretti and are excited. Yep. And I there's know that always... there are some people who will see this 30% gush number and be really attracted to Notion Thief. Well, there's always going to be like... I don't even have Landstill in here, right? Right. I mean, Landstill and Hard Control add up, are going to add up to 6-7% at a minimum. Fair enough. Right? Even if we have like 3% Null Rod deck, low, 5%. I think the omnipresence of Jake Odrazi is going to push combo down this year. I'm I'm predicting combo only at about five percent. That's even with the excitement that paradoxical outcome might bring to some people. I don't think I don't think it's that card is going to convert new people to combo. I guess. Yeah. And some people might just test it and give up because because of null rod. Well, my numbers are off by a couple percent, but I'll stick with my gush and shops and Neldrazi numbers. I don't want to mess with that. So. Okay. I might have to bend oath down to nine percent though, just to make room for other things. <laughs> well. We don't need to go through and, and shave these also. They add up exactly to 100%. I, I'm yeah. feeling okay about the directionality of our predictions here. So I think I think we can just move on to our question of the episode, which <laughs> I think ultimately is going to be, what do you think is going to win champs this year? That's a great question. What I think deck? Th- and we want a specific deck too, not just an archetype, not just Gus or Shop, Gush or Shops are right. going to win. I want to know, do you think Fleet Wheel Cruiser is going to take it down? You think Mentor is going to do it? <laughs> you think Oath is going to three-peat? And if it is, what kind of Oath? Will right. it feature Oriox Salvagers? Will it feature Gristlebrand? Will it feature Void Winnower, perhaps? Dragonlord Dramica? That's a great think, question. Steve, how do you feel? I think almost any deck could win this year. I do too. I really do. I think all, all these decks have the potential to win. You could. I wouldn't be surprised if a Gush deck, a Shop deck, an Eldrazi deck an oath deck one i might be a little surprised if dredge but not really a pitch dredge deck could easily win um yeah i mean these decks are all beer 
and they all have reason behind them they could win, mm-hmm. including new cards, so on. I, I think it would be shocking if there was less than one or two gush decks in the top eight. I agree. It would be less than, well, two gush decks in the top eight. Only two, I should say, gush decks in the top eight would be low. Less than two would be shocking. I agree. <laughs> but if there were only two gush decks in the top eight, what would be the rest of it, right? It would have to be two or three shops and then one of Oath, Eldrazi, and Dredge to, to take up the space. I guess when you put it that way, two Oaths, three shops. I'm it sorry. A couple two, blue control decks. Two, two yeah. gush, three shops, Oath, Dredge, Eldrazi. You know, that wouldn't be a very shocking top eight. But we have seen a, uh, that top eight before where it was like one blue deck, for shop, Dredge. But <laughs> yeah. honestly, I think if there's only one or two gush decks in the top eight, I think that means there's going to be like a Landstill deck in the top eight in like that kind of type deck. Or another Jeskai control deck, a moat deck. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I think there'd be a couple of those. If Gush, if Gush, if there isn't a lot of Gush at the top table, it opens the room, opens the door for a lot of other blue decks. Yeah, I would agree. And we know that Gush is going to be powerfully metagamed against, no matter how you slice it. No doubt. Should be interesting, though. Should be really interesting. I think what I'm most interested to see is just uh, which of these cards are utilizing, which of these decks are utilizing new cards, in which ways. Are we going to see some Campbell, K- Campbell, or whatever the card is? Are we going to see some Duretti, like you mentioned already? We, That's haven't, even ta- we haven't even mentioned Sanctum Prelate. Yeah, <laughs> in, in White yeah. Eldrazi. And the Conspiracy Impact could be... Could be diverse and strong still, and it's mostly unknown, except for a couple of four-color Leovold decks over in Europe. For sure. No, Leovold... So so to go to the, the first question that we asked at the beginning of the episode, what should you play? I think you kind of already touched on this, but if you're trying to find something that can compete against Gush, bug-based Leovold decks, I think they're mostly four-color at this point, is a counter, right? Mm-hmm. That's the counterpoint. It's interesting. Yeah. People are really want to go for color. You know, people <laughs> want to play these planeswalkers, but to do it, there aren't a lot of ways to do it. One of them is Death Ride Shaman. Right. If you're deep in black or green, that's how you get there. Yep. It, and and the primary impetus to go for color has been uh, sulfur elemental because you and I have said it a number of times in the past. The reason that Bug kind of fell off the map is because it couldn't compete with the Gush decks, and you need ways to buy back the tempo that you're giving up by playing Bug. Well, I think one of the problems that bug had was that the, the, the gush decks were delved and the delver deck played bolt you just could race your opponent's dark confidant they would do yeah. damage themselves pick off you know bolt to the face a couple swings with delver you're dead i think that's the case now i think yep. uh i think bug is bug r or bug white whatever it's uh <laughs> it, with leovold is going to be a very interesting potentially well-positioned archetype yeah well anything else before we wrap up no i just can't wait to can't wait to see it I'm, we'll probably we'll probably have um a lot to say on the other end so we'll see we'll see you we'll see you in columbus and uh please say hi that's right you catch either of us in columbus don't hesitate to to come up and introduce yourself we we've met new people every year that this champs has been going on since we've been doing this show it's always (laughs) great so thank you for listening to episode 58 of so many insane plays you can tweet us at many insane plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com as always and until next time we wish you Many insane plays. We hit the game.